going to kick off today just looking at Christmas and kind of getting in the Christmas spirit. And in order to do that, I kind of was thinking about this and I wanted to kind of read something to you guys just so they get kind of a glimpse into my life and some of that kind of stuff. Uh, my dad sends a letter to myself, to my wife, to my kids every year. Every year he sends a letter before Christmas happens. And so I'm going to read it to you so you get a little bit of a glimpse into the craziness that is my life. Hey, it's that time of year again. It's that time of best wishes, best fishes, or best fishes on dishes. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Quite honestly, a ham and cheese sandwich works best for me. In any event, I'm here to take your top three Christmas gift wishes. So if you'll just return a completed list of your top three choices, I can take a hike to the North Pole, pick up what you want, and be back before Christmas Eve. He sends this every year. <laughs> I still don't know what it means. And every year he also threatens that if we don't fill it out, we're going to get socks and underwear for Christmas. And what is he asking? He's asking us to make a Christmas list, right? And lists are part of our Christmas culture today, right? Lists are part. So you do Christmas lists. Or you'll sing the song, Santa Claus is coming to town. And what will you hear? He's making a list and he's checking it twice. Or maybe you'll make a grocery list uh, for Christmas dinner. Or maybe you make a list uh, for baking a special Christmas treat, like a, like a fruitcake. Why? Why do we still make fruitcakes? I don't understand. They're disgusting. Or you might make an invitation list to invite people over to your uh, Christmas party. Or maybe you'll make a list. Some of you may possibly make a list of the people you don't want at your Christmas party. I know that this happens. Because it happened to me. This past Friday, Worship Arts had a Christmas party for volunteers and staff. I called Wayne, who was leading you in worship today. I called Wayne. I was like, hey, I didn't get my invitation. He says, that's because you weren't invited. <laughs> I said, what? He says, yeah, you're the boss. We're not going to invite you. We want this party to be fun. <laughs> I can be fun. So apparently there's lists for people you don't want to invite. But there's lists all over our culture, right? There's, there's so many lists when it comes to Christmas. And some of you may be listening to that and you're like, and that's what's wrong. That's what's wrong with our culture. All of those lists. We get distracted from the real meaning of Christmas. And maybe, maybe, you know, that, that might be true. But in case you didn't realize this, lists have been a part of the Christmas story from the very beginning. In fact, today we're going to study the first Christmas list. We're going to study the first Christmas list. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be reading from verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashan. Nashan, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. 
Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Just for a pause, if that sounds familiar, it should, if you were here last week, because that's how we ended our Ruth series, by going into that. That's right out of this genealogy. Let's continue. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. And his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheotil. Sheotil, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. <sighs> this is one of those passages that oftentimes people skip over. They get to that and they get to maybe the, the, like the third verse and like, okay, I'm done. Or they skim through it. And that's not okay. Because there's so much in this passage. You know what this passage was? This passage is Ancestry.com when our ancestors were alive. There's so much in here. And what happens is, is that Matthew breaks up this list, this genealogy, this list of names into three parts. Uh, he breaks it up into three parts of 14 generations. He breaks it up from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, and from the exile to the Messiah, Jesus. Now, what you need to know, just a side note, what you need to know is that in reality, even though that Matthew is, this is how Matthew organized it, there were not just simply three sets of 14 generations. We know that because if you read the rest of the Bible, you'll find other lists, other genealogies, and we'll know that there are people who are actually missing from this list. So why is it an incomplete list per se? Why, why is there some of those discrepancies? Well, what you need to know is that back then there was no app for Ancestry.com. In fact, most of the time there wasn't even a written record that was publicly accessible. So what people had to rely on oftentimes was memorizing their genealogy. They would have it in oral form and they would have to memorize it. And the importance of that was that the point of the genealogy was to be used for legal purposes, establish heritage, establish inheritance, uh, establish legitimacy, and establish rights. And so they were written in ways that people could memorize it. Because it wasn't so important to have every single person listed in that genealogy. What was important was getting the story correct, getting the story of heritage correct. And genealogies were huge in Jesus's culture. In fact, while we would skim, while we would probably skip over Matthew chapter one, when we begin this gospel of Matthew, when we begin Matthew's account of the story of Jesus, this is exactly the way that the Jewish culture would have imagined the story beginning. When you wanted to tell a story like Jesus's, when you wanted to tell a story like the Messiah, you had to start with the genealogy because the genealogy was the way that you, know, you knew about the legitimacy of the claim of the story. And this is huge. And if you were to really dive into this genealogy, if you were to really look over it, there's so much in it. 
So much more than we can cover in one day. In fact, you could spend weeks and weeks really studying this genealogy, but we're not going to do that today. We're not going to go into everything. In fact, we're going to study three things. We're going to study three things in regards to Matthew chapter 1 today. We're going to learn about promises, we're going to learn about punishments, and we're going to learn about people. We're going to learn about promises, we're going to learn about punishments, and we're going to learn about people. Let's take a look at the promises in the book of Matthew. Let's take a look at the promises in the genealogy of Jesus. What you need to understand is that the Jewish people, their traditions trace their ancestry through the covenants that God had with its people, Israel. They trace their ancestry through the covenants of God with his people. And the two main covenants, the two main promises that are made are listed in verse 1. Look at verse 1. What does it start out? This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, okay? It's a bold claim that's made there. It's a bold claim. In order to make that claim, we have to have the son of David, the son of Abraham. These are two pivotal promises that God makes with his people. By connecting Jesus to the promise made to Abraham, what Matthew is doing is he is bringing Jesus into the line of people. He is making them, Jesus, he is connecting him to the nation. By connecting him to the promise of David, he's connecting him to the throne. Jesus is the fulfillment of both the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. And Jesus is fulfilling these promises that God made. And what Matthew is doing in this opening list of names is that he is telling the entire story of Israel without telling the story of Israel. You ever go onto social media and you, and you get one of those social media posts and, and it says, tell me you are such and such without telling me you are such and such, right? You ever seen that? Like, tell me you're an Eagles fan without telling me you're an Eagles fan. Tell me you're a Giants fan without telling me you're a Giants fan. Tell me you're a uh, Cowboys fan and we'll run you out of town. Well, you, know, you know what it is, right? Tell me, that's what's happening in this genealogy. Matthew is actually telling the story of Israel by listing out these names without actually telling the story. And what he's doing in telling the story is beginning to explain and teach on the faithfulness of God continuously throughout the history of Israel. God has remained faithful in his covenant. And as God has remained faithful in his covenant, there is also what we need to understand, promises that when Matthew's writing this, there are people who are still waiting for some of these promises to be fulfilled. And so there's this eager anticipation of God fulfilling the promises made to his people. And the people are like, when? When will this happen? When will this covenant be fulfilled? When will this promise be fulfilled? When is this going to happen? And Matthew steps in and says, it's been fulfilled. And it's been fulfilled in Jesus. And so when Matthew writes his genealogy, and when Matthew puts that statement in verse one, he is making a very bold claim about Jesus. He is saying that he is the fulfillment of God's covenant. And this is huge. But while God keeps his promises, while God keeps his promises in Jesus, while God keeps his promises throughout the entire story, as we look at those names in the genealogy, the people did not. While God kept his promises to the people, his people did not keep their promises to him. And so what we see in this genealogy is also the results of that, the consequences of that unkept promise, the punishments for that unfulfilled covenant. You see, what we have is this, this rise in the genealogy. As you read it, you have this, this rise that reaches this pinnacle, this, this apex when we get to, to the name of David. 
This is like the best part. This is what they always look for. This is like, this. those were the days. David, then you get up to here, and then you begin to have this decline. And you begin to have this decline that, that reaches its bottom point when the people go into exile. It reaches this bottom point when you get to the name Jeconiah. And what you need to understand about Jeconiah is that it's another way of saying the name Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, who was a king, who was one of their kings. And it gets to this point, and this is when the people are sent off into exile. They are conquered. They are conquered by, a, uh, by another country, and they are sent to that country to live there, and they are taken away from their land. And this is a low point. And this is a punishment that God has given them for not fulfilling their part of their covenant. And that's the big, broad, macro theme of punishment there. But if you were to dive just a little bit deeper into that, you would find some fascinating things. When we look at Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, when we look at him, there's another punishment that is given to him that is really applicable to this genealogy. It's found in the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 22, it says this, verse 30, it says, this is what the Lord says, okay? This is God, and he's talking about Jehoiakim. He's talking about Jeconiah. He says, this is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. This should bother you. This should bother you. This is why it should bother you. If Jesus is the fulfilled promise, if Jesus is the fulfilled promise of that Davidic covenant, if Jesus is the promised king, and if we look through his genealogy, and we have someone who has a punishment against him that says that anyone from his seed cannot be on that throne, this should be a conflict for you. This should be a conflict for you. And you should be like, what is happening here? If Jesus is this, why is this person in his genealogy? And here's where God's redemption is really amazing, even in the little details. Even in the little details. This is Jesus' genealogy through Joseph. Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. Mary was a virgin when she became pregnant with Jesus. Jesus has all of the legal rights to the claims of this genealogy as an adopted son. But he's not of Joseph's seed, which means he's not of the seed of Jeconiah. In a virgin birth... God actually redeems this line of Jeconiah. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. I mean, that's an amazing redemption story. He didn't have to do that. In Luke, we get another genealogy of Jesus on Mary's side, and we can see that how he can be connected to David through another line. God goes out of his way to include someone that he pronounced punishment over and severed that line, and God redeems the line through miraculous ways. That's wild to me. Because we understand at times that Jesus is a, a redeemer and he redeems our story and he redeems humanity. And we understand that, but there is so much in this genealogy that is just drenched in redemption that God would just go out of his way to redeem that line. I find fascinating. Because that's the whole purpose of Jesus' birth, is Redemption. Jesus is born as our Messiah, as our Savior, 
to redeem humanity because of their sin. To satisfy the punishment. And God goes out of his way to redeem stories all throughout that genealogy. We saw it in Ruth. Ruth was a story of redemption as we studied these past four weeks, if you were with us. And Ruth is in this, this story of redemption in the genealogy. It's drenched with redemption. Okay, so we're flying through this today. We're going through this really fast. And so I encourage you to look through this genealogy as you go. But what we've done so far is we've taken a look at promises. Jesus is the fulfilled promises in this genealogy. We've looked at punishments. Jesus satisfies the punishments in this genealogy. We're left with one more thing to look at. We're left with the people of this passage. The people. I was talking uh, with Josh and Charles, and Charles mentioned that we have a preaching team, and we meet every week, and so we were talking about this passage, and Josh was talking to me, and he said, you know what you need to do? You need to talk about the Abydus king list. Sure, Josh. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, you need to talk about the Abydus. I don't even know what the Abydus king list is. How are they going to know what the Abydus king list is? Here's what the Abydus king list is. I'm going to let you know. The ancient Egyptians would trace their pharaohs and kings, and they believed that they could trace them all the way to their gods, to the Egyptian gods. And so they made a king list, a genealogy, if you will. Well, here's what's really interesting about that. They would intentionally take out anybody that they didn't think was worthy. So they would take them out of that list so that that list would be as pure as possible. That list could be as, as esteemed as possible as they looked towards those gods who were their ancestors. So one of the most famous pharaohs that you can know in culture is Tutankhamun, King Tut. Okay, for all of you Steve Martin fans, King Tut, that's who it is. That's who it's about. He's not in the king list. He's actually not in the king list because he wasn't deemed worthy. It was very important for the Egyptians at that time to not include any scandalous people, to not include anyone who could not be deemed worthy. That is not what happens in Jesus' genealogy. In fact, Matthew goes out of his way to include scandalous people. In fact, Matthew goes out of his way to put people who people would throw out of the list, he puts them in. It starts with Matthew including four women. That's not normal in that time. Most of the time, women were not included in genealogies. It was just from the male to the male to the male to the male. Matthew includes four women, and not only does it include four women, they're scandalous women. If you were to read their stories in the Old Testament, there's a lot of scandal associated with them. In fact, one of them doesn't even get their name mentioned. She was not mentioned by name. She's simply called Uriah's wife, a direct reference to a failure of King David. And there's bad kings in this, this genealogy as well. There's people who walk away from, from God. There's people who are wicked, who follow idols. They're all in this genealogy. They're all in this genealogy. They're good people. There's people to be celebrated, but they're certainly scandalous people as well. And what's amazing about that, when we look at the people in the genealogy, is this. God includes the excluded. God includes the excluded. In that genealogy are scandals. In that genealogy are women who are not of Israelite descent. They're Gentiles. In that genealogy are people who, who did the wrong stuff. God puts the good, but he also puts the bad in his list of names that lead up to Jesus, the Messiah. But what I find even more amazing than that is that not only does God put the good and the bad, 
He puts the in-between. One of my favorite characters of Christmas is beginning to become Azor. A-Z-O-R. Azor. Great story. Great story of Azor. Wonderful story. Uh, There's laughter in that story. There's tears and sadness in that story. Uh, There's hardships and difficulties. There's celebrations. There's good things that happen, bad things that happen. Great story. If you don't know about Azor, if if you don't know where it's found, that's good because it's not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible is he listed anywhere else. We have no clue about Azor. Why did I say all those things about him? Because he was just a normal person. Just like you and me, there are tears in our life story. There are joy and happiness in our life story. There's good times and there's bad times. We don't know anything about Azor. And yet he's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Here's why that's important. Azor is very, very important. You know why? Not because of his story, but because he's a part of Jesus' story. And I find a lot of comfort in that because a lot of time I'm preoccupied with my own story. A lot of time I want to just figure out my own purpose or how to make sure that my story is lasting or that what I do is going to be something that impacts people. My story will be forgotten in 100 years, 50 years, probably going to be forgotten in three years. We'll see. My story will be forgotten. The story that will last will be Jesus' story. My purpose is to fit into his story and proclaim his story, the everlasting story of the true king, the true Messiah. Azor's story is truly important only because it's a part of Jesus' story. Your story is important when you make it a part of Jesus' story. Promises, punishments, and people. That's what we get in this genealogy. Promises, punishments, and people. There's a commentator named J. Vernon McGee, and he writes about this passage. He says, this is one of the most important passages in the Bible. One of the most important passages in the Bible. It's oftentimes the one that we skip over. It's oftentimes one of the ones we skim over. The reason it's important is because the accuracy of this genealogy offers the legitimacy of Jesus' claim. It offers the legitimacy of who Jesus is, the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Without this genealogy, the claim of Jesus being the Messiah is incomplete. This genealogy shows the legitimate claim of Jesus being the fulfillment of God's promises, the satisfaction of God's punishments, and the source of the way that God redeems his people. You see, the reason that this Christmas list in Matthew 1 is so vitally important is because of another Christmas list. There's a second Christmas list that I think is really important for us to remember around this time. It's actually the last Christmas list. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. 
anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The first Christmas list provided the legitimacy of Christmas, of the legitimacy of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus lived a perfect life and died a death that was meant for me and you. He satisfied our punishment so that we could be added to the last Christmas list, the book of life. The question is, are you on the list? See, all you have to do to be on the list is RSVP. You just ask the RSVP. And the choices for the RSVP are just yes and no. There's been weddings where I haven't RSVP'd. Guess what? I can't just show up and say, well, you invited me. Well, you didn't, you didn't respond, so the response was no. No response is a response of no, just so you know. But if you have responded yes and you've accepted that invitation and you've RSVP'd, what you need to understand is that you have a role. How do invitations for the wedding uh, that I'm invited to, how do they get to me? Well, a mail carrier comes and puts it in the mailbox, and I now have the invitation. When you respond yes to Jesus' invitation, you take on the role of the mail carrier. It is your job to make sure that others receive that invitation as well. And we have a tremendous opportunity for you to do that this season. We have a tremendous opportunity for you to bring the invitation of Jesus to others. It's our Christmas services. Our Christmas services are coming up really fast. And I want you to know that we will be talking about the gospel clearly in that service. Maybe there's a coworker of yours. Maybe there's a neighbor. Maybe there's a family member. Maybe there's just a friend that you want to be impacted by the gospel. We're going to do our part. We're going to share the gospel at that service. We ask you to do your part and invite someone to those services. People, punishments, and promises. That's what we get in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus. He is the fulfilled promise. He is the satisfaction of the punishment. And he is the reason that God can reclaim all of his people to himself. This Christmas, keep that in mind as we go and celebrate the miraculous birth of our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you did everything to make a way that we could be invited, to make a way that we could be added to that list that we read of in Revelation, your book of life. Lord, if there's anyone in here who has not yet responded to that invitation, ask you that you would tug at their heart and that they would simply respond yes. For those of us who have responded, I ask you that you would fill us with an urgency, that you would fill us with a passion, that you would fill us with a desire to reach others and to bring that invitation to them so that you could impact their lives with the gospel. Lord, we've done a lot of work to plan for our Christmas services, and we're going to continue to do that. But Lord, we lay it at your feet right now. We ask you that you would bless it for your sake and for your name, that we would honor you with all we would do, and that people would come to know your saving grace and that their lives will never be the same again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.